This is your host Shane with another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. Today we'll be talking about stromatolites, orbicular rhyolite, quartz, and so much more. So stay tuned. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at radical rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. First thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock of no name, felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks, cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere, and today we are going to talk about a ton of them. Um, one interesting story we're going to talk about is about a $400 million that was given out for a can of beans. Stromatolite, orbicular rhyolite, geology of graveyards, so we've got some uh, post-Halloween scary stuff here, quartz, some of the Halloween scariness of quartz. The American Eagle Mine, um, all kinds of really interesting things, so stay tuned. I want to thank you guys for liking and subscribing. You can find us on most social media. You can find our videos. Just look up Radical Rocks, and we're typically the first ones that are going to pop up, so check that out. All right, first off, we have... uh, Very colorful rainbow gemstones from the Royal Oak series. These are actual wristwatches that are completely encrusted with diamonds. All the way around the wristband, all the way around the face, all throughout the the whole watch. It's all different colors. Ten beautiful, vibrant, gem-studded colors, according to Bu. Hey ho on maximum.com. You can look this up about these beautiful gemstone watches. They are a maximum. Uh, uh, let's see, I got that wrong. They are all different colors with tons of gemstones. Purple, of course, would be amethyst. There is all kinds of uh, gemstones that are on here. They've got green, looks like could be emerald on here. They've got a blue, could be a topaz, says topaz. Red is rubies. Beautiful, beautiful. They've got one that has more clockwork. It has sapphires actually around what we used to call the winding key, but I think it's more like just to set the time and stuff. Um, spectacular watches that you can find. If you want to look that up and check that out, just uh, go there and do that because that's kind of neat if you want to have a watch. I know wristwatches are not really all in uh, vogue anymore. Kind of a cell phones have kind of diminished that, but it's always nice to have a good wristwatch just for uh, the heck of it. Now, Marvel has got into the gemstone business, and if you go to yahoo.com, you can find out about these gemstones from Marvel. If you've ever heard of Marvel, they do comic books, comic book heroes, and they have the Infinity um, 
Creators of a $25 million Marvel Infinity Gemstones begins uh, to be in sales in stores now, they say. And you can read all about this, but uh, these stones are in, in conjunction with the Infinity Collection, which is on a movie where they have this uh, gauntlet that it's called. Uh, and on this, this glove... There are orange, red, yellow, blue, purple, and green colors. Well, they have chosen to use these spectacular gemstones to um, represent all these things. They represent time, space, reality, mind, power, and soul, according to the movie. There's pictures of it here. Um, Fans and collectors are very important consumer for Marvel since they truly love and live the Marvel lifestyle each day and uh, want to connect with the brand. And obviously there are some people that have tons of money to uh, spend on these products, these huge gemstones, many, many carats. The six stones combined are over 150 carats and come with a total estimated value surpassing $25 million in a statement. Paul Gitter, uh, Marvel Consumer Products. Um, is quoted here. If you want to find out more about it, you can. Just go to uh, yahoo.com and look up the Marvel Infinity Gemstones, and that should pop up for you. I want to tell you a really interesting story. This is a story about $400 million in silver for a can of beans. Now, um, this individual has a uh, sells a lot of, of uh, mines gold mines on eBay and sent me an email and there's a picture of uh, a quartz sample it looks like it may have some quartz or not of course it is quartz it looks like it may have some sulfites um, some silver and uh, perhaps some copper it's brown so copper's usually green when it's on a rock but uh, so there it is. In the story that he tells, he is auctioning off the 873 mine, which we actually talked about an episode or two ago in White Pine County. And uh, he has a link. We can go to eBay and check out that uh, mine. The story of White Pine County, Nevada, starts with a blacksmith turned prospector named Alberta Leathers. Or um, Albert. Leathers. In 1867, he was camping on the slopes of White Mountain in a remote and lonely area of eastern Nevada in the United States. Um, Leathers was down on his luck and his supplies were dwindling. One night, he was awakened to the sound of utensils on metal. In the darkness, he observed someone eating his last can of beans. He chased off the mysterious thief. A few days later, a Paiute named Jim approached him and offered to pay for the stolen beans. He gave Leathers a piece of silver ore and later showed him where it came from. So that's that's how the story started. He melted down the small ore sample in his forge and was able to get a button of silver. So it was rich indeed. 
The area that Jim showed him became Treasure Hill, one of the richest silver districts in Nevada. It produced 20 million ounces of silver from 1868 to 1901. The boom at Treasure Hill brought thousands of prospectors to White Pine County and hundreds of discoveries were made there. A lot of them are kind of passed, passed on and uh, covered up in the hills. And some of them are waiting for a new generation of prospectors. The most productive areas was the Egan Range and the center of the county, in the center of the county. The Egan Range and the Cherry Creek Range are covered with audits, shafts, pits, and vein material. The district had several operating stamp mills, mills which processed the ore. So the geology of the area in this 873 mine that he had listed on eBay is next to a volcanic intrusive area that created a lot of this uh, sulfites that came up through these cracks and is associated with nearly every gold mine discovery in Nevada. So there's a lot of areas to look around there. We talk about that. Like you may not be able to go to this claim, but that area is a good place to go look around in the washes and stuff below. Also, in this mine, the 873, smithsonite material was found. And um, silver is there, and also gold. So there's 28 uh, ounces. Some of the silver mines have gone for, and a little less than an ounce, about three quarters of an ounce of gold. The 873 workings are right on the, inter the in intersection of two faults. He has a map that you can look at, look at if you can look this up. He talks about the Cherry Creek District. It's a few miles north of this 873 mine. A lot of exploration companies are out there. One million ounce gold deposits are numerous in the White Pine County. This includes Kingsley Mountain, Alligator Ridge, Bald Mountain Complex, the largest gold complex in Nevada with about 10 plus open pit gold mines. Having these large deposits nearby makes finding smaller high grade veins much more likely. So I hope you enjoyed that story about $4 million for a can of beans. Um, Let's see here. So I want to give you the credit for this guy. It's goldminesforsale.com. Jeff Janda. And if you want to talk to him about any of his gold mines, if you want to talk to him about this 873, you can go to his website, goldminesforsale.com, and talk to him about it. He lists a lot of them on eBay, but uh, I'm sure you can talk to him. So now let's talk about some quartz. We know Halloween was here. My kids went out for Halloween. My son dressed up as Elvis. It was a big hit. My daughter is naturally a princess, so she was quite beautiful. They got a ton of candy, enough to uh, put about 100 diabetics into a coma, a sugar coma, and enough uh, candy to rot teeth to enrich at least a couple dentists. So good, good for those industries, I guess. But the quartz that I'm talking about, have you ever heard of skeletal quartz? How about phantoms? 
How about... Let's see, there was one other cool one that was in here. Spirit Quartz. So these are some of the different kinds of quartz that you can collect. Our friends at Rockin' Gym, you can go to rockin'gym.com, subscribe to them. You can find out all about the great magazine that they have where you can find out about quartz crystals and how they grow. Um, this is online. They send it to me for free. And they talk about uh, quartz crystals that misgrow. They don't grow into the perfect crystal that we see typically with the, the five-point uh, points that we see, um, but they grow in different ways. Multiple points and faces, they can be twinned, intergrown with others. They may stop growing, dissolve a bit, resume growth. Um, you just don't know what you're going to end up with when quartz is forming in crystals. They go through a whole list of different ones here. I'm only going to talk about the ones that apply to uh, what I think is Halloween, skeletal quartz. So skeletal quartz is also called window, window quartz. And what it does is the plates start to form a little edge, and then the next one forms a little edge. So they kind of shrink down. We have a lot of little edges where it looks like there's plates. Like uh, let's say we have... Uh, a, a four-sided uh, like pyramid. Imagine the top part's flat instead of a point. Then it's got two edges and then a side on the bottom. And imagine them just getting smaller and smaller and having kind of sharp edges as they're stacked on each other. Well, it kind of looks like a uh, skeleton. They're faces that uh, set back like a glass in a window frame, giving a layered or ribbed look Hence the name skeletal quartz. There can be etchings and cavities and clay minerals and other things, glasses and other things trapped inside. Phantoms, these quartz crystals develop in mineral solutions. Sometimes they stop growing and then they grow again. So in between the other minerals, they get deposited on a crystal face. They leave spooky jones. Uh, excuse me, spooky zones of different colors within the quartz, including blood red, which comes from the iron uh, hematite mineral. Crystal within a crystal is referred to as inclusions or phantoms. Pretty cool. Um, they talk about a few other ones, twins, right? Uh, and Schisler is another one. Spirit quartz is the other one I want to talk about for Halloween. Spirit quartz is also known as cactus quartz. Consists of a primary crystal that grows up with a prism face covered by a whole bunch of small second generation little crystals much like the trunk of a cactus is covered by spines. Uh, this by those that uh, kind of worship crystals or, or believe in their power is able to connect you with a spirit realm. Therefore, it is sometimes called spirit quartz. So that's some fun stuff from our friends over at Rock and Gym. Guess what? In the, into, the middle of the earth, where we're told it's all hot lava and dense, dense materials, there is a massive amount of water. They have um, come to the point where they believe this is a fact, they have seen so much water come out of the earth that uh, they are going, wow, 
the mantle, the lower mantle, actually plays a major role in water, having water. Now, this has been disputed for many, many years, um, and they're just coming up with more and more proof. But yet, um, some old books, such as the Bible, said that the, the earth opened up and spewed a gorge of water. Now, this happens sometimes. Um, it has been reported in history that areas have opened up and massive amounts of water have come out in unexpected areas. Um, but it hasn't happened any time in the last, you know, several hundred years, maybe even maybe even a couple thousand years, I'm not sure. But uh, no real reports of this happening um, that could be, you know, officially verified. But this is being verified. The article, um, miragenews.com, see, they tell us, at the Center for High Pressure Science and Technology and Advanced Research, water is transported by oceanic plates into the Earth's deep interior and changes the properties of minerals and rocks, affecting the Earth's internal materializing cycle of environmental evolution since the formation of the Earth. The international research team has discovered that water comes from the Earth's lower mantle. This water contains all sorts of different minerals. I'm not going to go into this article. It's quite lengthy and in-depth. But the fact is, the water is getting into the lower mantle and coming back out uh, of the earth. And this is how, you know, sulfites and different minerals uh, have come and filled in these, these cracks in the earth and brought valuable minerals with them as well. So pretty cool. Um, this is very... Uh, the results are published October 22nd on the Proceedings of the Natural Academy of Science. So since the birth of the Earth, this volcanic activity and all of this stuff has led to water coming from deep within the mantle, the lower mantle. Pretty cool. All right. I want to tell you about the 10 most valuable mines in the world. The number one most valuable mine in the world, guess where, what country that's from? Russia. And this is a huge nickel deposit. Now, there are many other mines that you can find out about that are very, very wealthy. Go to mining.com and look for the world's top 10 most valuable mines. And you will see a lengthy story there by Frick Else. And you can find out about it. We're just looking at the little short list here. Olympic uh, in Australia, there's iron oxide. This is a huge deposit of iron. In South Africa, we've got uh, magmat magmatic sulfite. In Chile, uh, another mineral. I don't even know what it is. Uh, AU. A, I know AU, AU is gold, right? And then uh, Indonesia, they have, uh, looks like gold there too. And then in Chile, we've got another one. Not really sure what that mineral is. Parpyrotra? Not sure what that one is. And China, they've got all sorts of minerals there. And U.S. finally has one. And then... Uh, 
one in Zinia and Anglo-American, or Chile, I'm sorry, Chile. So there's a lot of more copper mines, it says here. So maybe that, uh, maybe CU is copper. I think, I'm not sure. I, I don't have my uh, element table here, but it looks like 20 of the world's top copper mines um, are some of the ones that are here. And the article goes into palladium, uh, goes and how that represents a big dollar value, nickel, um, and other minerals that are quite valuable. Not all these are, are like uh, metallic minerals. Some of these are other, other uh, rocks and minerals that are needed for construction and things like that. So let's talk about the American Eagle Mineral Property. Hopefully I can do better with this one than that last one. By the way, I want to apologize. Um, I've been really busy, super busy, so busy. I didn't even think I was going to do a podcast today. So um, my wife was nice enough to let me stay up late and um, try to pull something together kind of quick. So I apologize for that. But, uh, you know, we all have busy lives sometimes and it, sometimes it just becomes overwhelming. So the American Eagle is from our friends at the Gold Rush Expeditions. You can go to their website at goldrushexpeditions.com and find out about this gold mine. I thought it was pretty cool history. Um, this originally was a pretty rich copper area, apparently. It's in the Whipple uh, Mining District in San Bernardino County, California, very near Parker, California. And... Um, in this area, thousands and thousands of pounds of copper have been uh, mined in this area. So it says there's likely 10 times more um, copper available in there than what's been mined. This mine is a very old desert mine, very far out. It was closed in the late 1940s, and uh, copper was... Uh, a strategic metal so you know gold mines and stuff like that was closed down during the wars um, and then it never started again the subsurface area dates back to uh, 1932 to 1958 the American Eagle is uh, a site with much high-grade material there's historical mill sites in this area the site is very remote so there's not a lot of resources. And uh, it said it should be viewed as a brownfield project with defined assets in copper and gold. Potential for development is based on many factors. I was hoping they would tell us more history about it um, because the email that I had on it had a lot more history. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll backtrack on that. Let's see here. See if I can find that for you real quick. Do to do. Let's see here. My throat is getting dry too, and I've barely started. Here it is, American Eagle property. All right, now maybe I can give you a little bit of history on this. Okay, it's a forty-acre claim located um, in the Whipple Mining District of San Bernardino County, California. Located about eighteen seventy-five. Supposedly, this was one of the first mines developed west of the Copper Basin Mine. This was an area that was located by an explorer named McClure, McGuire, actually. 
who noticed a rich-looking surface deposit. He mined the site. He collected a massive amount of gold and copper ore, sent it back to be smelted. And then in 1902, men were employed full-time at the Eagle, the American Eagle. Within three years, they completed a 110-foot deep shaft, 200 feet of additional underground workings. By 1908, the miners ran into some financial problems. They leased the property to James D. Douglas. United States Geological Survey incorrectly reports that Douglas was the last to work the American Eagle claim in 1919, even though the claim was worked well into the 1950s. There's two mill facilities there. Um, there's pictures of beautiful blue copper uh, rock there. Looks like it could even be chrysocolla. Uh, maybe some malachite. The underground workings of this site undoubtedly hold value. Currently inaccessible. Um, there's a small ungated uh, audit that accesses the underground values, but only if you're particularly slender. Their surveyors were able to slip through, get in there, um, no water. Inside the mine, the walls had a deep blue copper mineralization bordering on azurite turquoise look. Gold appeared on the edges of the quartz furthest from the iron. There was visible stringers of material in the quartz as well as visible pyrite. As noted, when crushed, the veins of the site were readily visible. There is a massive vein that runs from the decline to the shaft about five feet and is consistent. While underground, the survey team gathered data about the depth of the underground workings and estimate the eagle holds 1,000 feet of underground workings. Wow, pretty cool. Um, there's dump sites that have approximately 127,807 tons if put together. They assayed the dump and a minimum of 67,000 ounces of gold and 7,438,367 ounces of copper within the site's dumps. Assays of the dump and material return values as high as 0.06 ounces of gold per ton and 9.8% copper per ton. All samples except one revealed 8.12 ounces of silver per ton one showed trace amounts. So pretty cool area in there. Certainly be worth looking at. Um, they're selling it here on their website if you want to go check it out. Again, that is um, goldrushexpeditions.com. So check that out. Really interesting history when you subscribe to some of this stuff. So that's always cool. First fossil discovery in Cambodia. Uh, the place is called, the district is... Kokong, K-O-H-K-O-N-K. And they don't know what kind of dinosaur it is, but it's pretty interesting. To me, it looks like the tail of something, like one of those club-tailed dinosaurs. They have not identified what it is, but if you want to check it out, you can go to Palm Pin Post, um, which is... Oh, it's Phantom Pin Post. P-H-N-O-M-P-E-N-H post.com. Uh, 
And you can look up this story about their first confirmed dinosaur, Orm, Buntheron, and Shea Sokni report to us. And the article goes into a little bit of detail. There's not too much. Um, there's a picture of the fossil there. But I thought that was kind of cool. Their first actual fossil of a dinosaur. Uh, once they get it identified, that'll be exciting to know what they've actually found there. Gravestones uh, and geology. At Forbes.com, you can find out about gravestones and the geology of gravestones. This is quite lengthy article. David Bursan tells us all about it. Um, Halloween time, I guess people want to talk about these type of things. One of the uh, oldest rocks on Earth, they say, is billions and billions of years old. Um, and in the Earth's earliest history, this rock is named after Hades, the Greek god of the dead and the king of the underworld. So gravestones can be made from all kinds of rock, platonic rocks like garbo and granite and metamorphic rocks, slate, marble, and uh, those type rocks are rarely used because of the um, marble. You know, it's going to just fall apart quickly. Sandstone's going to fall apart. Limestone's going to fall apart. But granite... That can be a good one. Um, one of the things that makes the rocks for gravestones best is that the crystallization be very similar. That's why quartzite is really good and some granites are really good as gravestones because they're more durable. And quartz, the more quartz it's in it, quartz is very... Um, it doesn't shrink and contract a lot with the heat or cooling of the Earth's general temperature, so it makes it pretty good. Any of the, the carbonite rocks or calcite rocks or dolomite rocks, marble, things like that, are going to dissolve and erode quickly, so those are not good choices for um, gemstones. Um, platonic rocks are like feldspar, mica, things like that. Um, schist, uh, even a lot of granite can be bad. React with water, right? And oxygen and decay into uh, clay type materials. We've all seen decomposed granite. It's kind of crumbly. So long-lasting gravestones should be a mono-mineralithic uh, rock. And that is one mineral, grains that are all about the same size. That way they can contract and expand at the same, si uh, same time, like we talked about quartzite. A metamorphic rock that was originally pure quartz um, can be good. So there's a little bit on gravestone. Also, the geology of graveyards can be important. Um, this is kind of creepy. The old Egyptian sarcophagus, that, uh, that's creepy. We'll talk about that. That's pretty darn creepy. If you know what that means... Um, and you want uh, <laughs> you want to use that they used minerals that helped uh, the the rock decay the corpse right so a sarcophagus was used and it comes from the, the word sarcophagus comes from the Greek word meaning place where flesh is eaten and uh, <laughs> that that material is airtight Sometimes reacts with the fluids of the corpse 
Sandstone can form a caustic environment where the decay of flesh is accelerated. <laughs> this can happen by temperature, humidity, air circulation, groundwater, soil acidity, uh, chemical composition of the corpse, and lack of or presence of microorganism. The decay of soft tissue underground uh, in a grave can take up to 15 to 20 years. The entire skeleton of single bones can survive sometime or for centuries. People who are preserved in clay can be mummified. Uh, dry deserts uh, are preferred after the clay is put around them. And uh, this can can make a body uh, look preserved for many, many, many years. Pretty crazy. All right. So that's enough about that. Creepy subject. That's your creepy subjects. Um, here's a quiz. All right. Um, the name of a gemstone that comes from the Latin word red. All right, quick. What's the answer? The answer is ruby. All right. I think we're about done, guys. I'm going to... Oh, we were going to talk about orbicular um, rhyolite and stromatolites. I almost uh, dropped the ball on you there. Let me tell you... This is really great, actually. I'm glad I didn't forget. <coughs> Excuse me. My friends at uh, the Searchers Gym and Mineral Society, they're located in Anaheim, California. I don't live in California anymore. Haven't lived there for years, but uh, if you subscribe to their uh, their newsletter, if you become a member, it's highly recommended. This is a great club. I want to tell you a little bit about this club. Um, they tell us here, where was that? I wanted to, it says, uh, shoot, it says a club. Here it is. I think this is it. No, that's not it. Darn. Can't find the article I want to tell you about. But anyway, they have a lot of meetings. And they have a presentation. This presentation is about stromatolites, past and present. And what date is that thing? Is it over? I think it might be. It's probably over. But... In this article, they tell us about stromatolites. Stromatolite um, that they have found and they are talking about are from Leicester Park, New York. Um, they talk about the complex melding of biology, uh, biology, chemistry, and geology. Now, stromatolites, if you don't know what they are, they are um, they were a, a like a plant and. Supposedly, this was the first plant to kind of grow up out of the surface of the water and start to breathe oxygen out of the atmosphere. So, you know, evolutionists and stuff really love this. Um, they talk about how these creatures live near the shore. Well, this life, a plant, basically, um, and all these other different things. And they talk about Thormbolites, which are formed from blue and green bacteria and blue and green algae. They are living stromatolites in the Anza Borrego and off Antelope Island in the Great Salt Lake. Fossils come up from the upper peninsula of Michigan, 
uh, Lesser Par, New York, Three Spring Talc in Australia, Nambia Glacier Park. Also, I found stromatolites um, by the Colorado River. And uh, there's some trips where you can go and find these stromatolites. They're hard to identify. You really need someone to kind of point them out to you. But usually in this area by the Colorado River, you can find cryonides, which crinoids were a, uh, a like a plant that looks like an upside-down umbrella that would actually eat animals. This is another one that uh, the evolutionists love to try to uh, talk about as far as some sort of a missing link. Now, I want to keep talking about the searchers here because this is a great rock-hounding club. Um, here's what they say. Oh, darn it. Why should you go on a searcher's field trip? I, I want to read this to you. Um, it says, rock hounding is simple but not easy. Most places in the world do not have quality rocks which would interest a rock hound. And if you do manage to get a location that does have rock, quality rock, it's not always easy to identify and locate the good stuff. And sometimes it's not easy to extract the rock. The tribal knowledge that the members of the searchers have amassed over the years is one of the best things the searchers have to offer. And we are happy to share it with you and the rest of the rock hounding community. Part of our reason, reason for being is to create new rock hounds. They want to help you. The second is to benefit field trips besides the rocks. Many of us spend our time in the city. We get so we don't even notice the hustle and the noise. We believe that you are noticing it on a subconscious level and you will definitely notice the noise when it is gone. Ah, the beautiful silence of being in a desert canyon. All of a sudden realize that the silent really is silent and like your soul takes a deep breath and it lets out your tensions and disappear and I believe all of us need more of it. So they go on to that. I think it's great to get away from the computer and things like that. You go to um, searchersrock.org they have a field trip page there. They have all kinds of trips that you can talk about. Um, and you can contact the club that way. Uh, if you want their number, uh, Steve Duncan is at 714-724-7102. You can talk to him about the club. They are going to Afton Canyon um, on the 12th and 13th. This is a great area for collecting all sorts of of uh, gemstones very easy right off the surface typically uh, this is in california they have a campground there they've got a link for the blm they have another trip east ord mountain orbicular rhyolite scheduled for december 10th and 11th you want to check that out you want some orbicular rhyolite this is a really cool area there's a lot of mines in the area um, float can be found and uh, digging up the hard stuff, too, if you want. Yermo area field trip, another great area. There's black agate out there, pretty cool. Volleyball-sized uh, volleyball colorful agate can be found. Other beautiful colors of agate can be found. And it is a beautiful desert area. So check that out. My cats are throwing a fit right now. They have uh, Thanksgiving dinners, show news. They have a big show. They put on a wonderful show. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Check this out. I am not going to go into it anymore. With that, guys, have a great day. Remember, rock hounds don't die, they petrify.